0: Hey, it's Brian with a quick announcement before we get started. You know, this time of year especially, we're always aware of how quickly time flies. So let me suggest to you that it's not too early to start thinking now about your Christmas shopping for 2022. And I've got the perfect recommendation for all the Christmas lovers in your life. Christmas Past The Book is coming in the fall of 2022 from Lyons Press. Stay connected with me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram for updates on events, giveaways, pre-ordering, publication dates, all that stuff. Thanks. Enjoy the episode. We wish you a Merry Christmas. We wish you a Merry Christmas. We wish you a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. The origins of this song are lost to history. We just know that it's old, and it's English, and that there have been several versions of it, including one where the singers wish you a pocket full of money and a cellar full of beer. But the one that you're most familiar with is the one you're hearing now. Written at a time when figgy pudding was so common and popular and presumably so delicious, so festive and emblematic of the Christmas season, that groups of carolers visiting door-to-door felt right at home singing its praises, literally, and demanding that it be served. Seriously, three whole verses in this version of the song are about figgy pudding. First, it's we wish you a Merry Christmas, then good tidings, etc., and then right into three full verses about figgy pudding. If you celebrate Christmas in America, you might find yourself wondering, what is figgy pudding? And what's so great about it? And how is it different from plum pudding? Or Christmas pudding? And where is it? Why do we only mostly hear about it in the song or Dickens' A Christmas Carol, and only rarely see it or taste it at Christmas time? The figgy pudding is alive and well, it just never made it big in America. Which is actually a little surprising. A dense and delicious, festive and fattening, not to mention boozy, treat that's commonly set on fire before serving it seems like a natural fit. The figgy pudding is neither figgy nor what we Americans would consider puddingy, And for centuries, it wasn't even considered especially Christmassy. The story of how we got to now starts somewhere in medieval times and involves animal skins, a ban on Christmas, some help from Charles Dickens, a cookbook author, and booze. Lots of booze. I'm Brian Earle. This is Christmas Past. A
1: Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year.
0: To understand what a figgy pudding is, we first need to understand what a pudding is. Pudding
2: is actually an old English term for any sort of product
0: that's been served in a container. That's Glenn Warren. He's a baker from Newfoundland and the host of Season's Eatings, a podcast about the history of Christmas foods. And perhaps you've seen something called a pudding mold. It can be a plain bowl-shaped basin or something ornately shaped. But in the past, and thank goodness only the past... It could be in an animal skin, like a sausage... Well, actually, it's not as bad as it sounds. After all, we still consume sausages today, many of them encased in intestines. The idea of putting served like that might sound pretty terrible, but only if you're thinking of putting the way that we know it today. Actually, the way you know it today depends on which side of the Atlantic you're on.
2: If you go to the UK, Any type of dessert after the main meal is called a pudding. They'll say, what would you want for pudding? And most most people in North America will go,
0: well, I don't know, vanilla, chocolate? But they mean, what do you want for dessert? But all of those definitions, be it the spoonable, mousse-like chocolate or butterscotch stuff we know, or the generic dessert or specific Christmas pudding, all of them are new, historically speaking. Puddings way back when were more like sausage or haggis, where fat, spices, and fruits were mixed with meats, grains, and vegetables and packed into animal casings. The fruit and the casing acted to preserve the food. Now let's get back to figgy pudding, the story of which begins on the other side of the Atlantic, in England. Figgy pudding has been around since the
2: 14th century. There's a cookbook called The Form of Curry. It's basically put together by the cooks and chefs of King Richard II. That's the first recorded instance of figgy pudding.
0: More specifically, it's the first recorded example of the first iteration of what we now know as figgy pudding, because the first recipe was really different.
2: It almost started as a soup. It didn't have any spices in it yet.
0: It was more of a savory dish
2: than than a sweet dish.
0: The recipe, which is called simply figgy, really difficult to read because it's in medieval English. But the idea is to simmer ground-blanched almonds, figs, raisins, ginger, honey, and salt in a mixture of water and wine. Figgy was also known as plum pottage. Pottage being a dish where all of the ingredients are cooked together in a pot. And plum just being a generic term meaning containing dried fruit. Some recipes even included meat. Because it was it was so expensive, meat was only
2: added a few times in the beginning. And then that gets sort of transformed when sugar comes into the mix during medieval times. Sugar gets added to the combination, and then it gets sort of moved to the dessert side of the
0: menu. And eventually this concoction would be put into a casing or mold and steamed or boiled, and voila, plum pottage becomes plum pudding or figgy pudding. Now we should pause at this point to note that so far, plum pudding has no special connection to the English Christmas. It's a rich food, so naturally it would be fitting to serve at Christmas, but that's about the most that you could say. And then, all of a sudden, there was no Christmas in England. In 1644, the Puritanical English Parliament, led by Oliver Cromwell, outright banned Christmas celebrations. And any kind of celebratory food, including plum puddings, was absolutely forbidden. Well, the good news is that the ban was abolished 16 years after it was passed it would take a good long while for Christmas to work its way back into the culture as a major annual celebration. And one of the first ways we see that happen is a return to eating rich foods at Christmas time, including things like fruitcake, mince pies, and yes, plum pudding. And during this time, the recipe continues to evolve before landing on the version we've stayed with more or less ever since.
2: By the time it gets to Victorian time in Dickinson's time, you have basically a ball of dried fruit and nuts held together with suet, sugar, maybe
0: a little bit of bread, breadcrumbs. This is the version of the pudding that caps off the Cratchit's Christmas feast in A Christmas Carol.
1: Hello, a great deal of steam. The pudding was out of the copper. A smell like a washing day. That was the cloth a smell like an eating-house and a pastry-cook's next door to each other, with a laundress's next door to that. That was the pudding. In half a minute Mrs. Cratchit entered, flushed but smiling proudly, with the pudding, like a speckled cannonball, so hard and firm, blazing in half of half a quartern of ignited brandy, and bedight with Christmas holly stuck into the top. Oh, a wonderful pudding!
0: Now you may have noticed a few things there. First, that the pudding was out of the copper and that it smelled like a washing day. This refers to how Mrs. Cratchit tied up the pudding mixture in a piece of cloth, giving it a round shape and boiled it in a copper pot.
2: A lot of people didn't have ovens. You had a hearth and you had a rod across the hearth and you put your food in either a big pot and made a stew or you boiled water because that's all you really had. And so you'd have to make some sort of dessert in either another pot, in the water, or in some sort of cloth bag.
0: The other thing you probably noticed was the pudding flaming in brandy. Like those early figgy recipes that included wine, nearly all plum puddings are traditionally made with alcohol. Either the dried fruit has been soaked in it, or it's added to the mixture or poured over the top and set alight. Sometimes all three. And because the alcohol acts as a preservative, it was also very common to make a pudding well in advance and then age it by dousing it with brandy often while storing it in a cool, dark place. The appearance of the Christmas pudding in A Christmas Carol truly anchored it to the Christmas celebration. And then in 1845, two years after the publication of A Christmas Carol, Eliza Acton published her influential book Modern Cookery for Private Families. And in it, she provides a recipe titled The Author's Christmas Pudding. People debate whether the author refers to Acton herself or Dickens, but the point is that it's the first published example of the dish being referred to specifically as a Christmas pudding. And because of its close ties to Christmas, a tradition formed around preparing the pudding on the Sunday before Advent. Stir-up-Sunday, as it's known, is when family members take turns stirring the pudding mixture with their eyes closed and making a wish. Some people even like to prepare the pudding with a coin hidden in the mixture. This was once a common thing to do with cakes during the 12 days of Christmas. So if you want to try making a Christmas pudding, or figgy pudding, or plum pudding this year, you're already late if you're a stickler for tradition. But that shouldn't stop you. They're not difficult to make, they taste great, and they're a heck of a lot of fun to set on fire. And I'm speaking from experience. Plus, you'd be doing your part to make the Christmas pudding more common here in America. But many Americans are happy nowadays to leave the traditions of Victorian England in the Victorian era, and in England and that's okay. But it still can be fun to experience them from a distance. Just ask Layla in Ohio.
1: Hi, Christmas Past Podcast. My name is Layla. I'm from Northeast Ohio, and I'm sending you this voice message all the way from Scotland. Uh, So I'm hoping to get in some nice visits uh, to some European Christmas markets before heading home for the holidays but today I'm sending this in to talk about my favorite Christmas tradition that has given me loads of warm memories. Uh, Each year, I work at a local living history village in Ohio around the holidays, and each December we host a lantern lit Christmas program. So for this, the employees dress up in Victorian clothing and we act out a series of holiday vignettes that show visitors what Christmas was like for the Victorians and where a lot of our modern traditions come from. Now, I love doing this so much each year because it just feels so magical to step into the past. And the idea of a Victorian Christmas like those that we see in A Christmas Carol or The Nutcracker is just so warm and comforting and just fills me with cheer.
0: You know, even though Christmas is less than 10 days away, there's still time for you to send a Christmas memory to appear in one of the remaining episodes for the season. Just record yourself speaking into your phone's voice memo app and send it over to Christmas Past Podcast at gmail.com. Keep it reasonably short, clean and family-friendly, and be sure to say your name and where you're from. Christmas Past is produced in wonderful Willow Glen, California, by yours truly, Brian Earle. Thanks so much to Glenn Warren. Again, his podcast is Seasons Eatings, and you can find a link to that in the show notes. Thanks to Layla in Ohio, and thanks to The Village Carolers for their beautiful rendition of We Wish You a Merry Christmas. The Village Carolers are based in New Jersey and perform all around the Mid-Atlantic region. You can find them at thevillagecarolers.com or check out their YouTube channel. You'll find links to all of that in the show notes. And as always, thank you for listening. With just over a week left in the season, I hope that you've been having a wonderful Christmas season so far, and that you've got wonderful Christmassy plans lined up for the remaining days of the season. Let's stay connected all throughout the season and beyond. You can find me on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and please do join our private Christmas Past Facebook group if you haven't yet. And if you're really feeling the Christmas spirit, why not help more people discover the show? It's as easy as telling a friend about it or leaving a review on Apple Podcasts. If you do leave a review, I'll send you a Christmas past sticker and a handwritten Christmas card is my way of saying thanks. Reach out for details on that. Until we meet again, may your days be merry and bright.